King, let us sing, rise and shine, let us do it. Who has it? Well, we'll get just making sure you guys are paying attention. Good morning, everybody. We. 
1 Samuel 16, verse 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't be impressed by his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. God does not view the things the way people do. People look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Amen to that. Let's pray. God, thank you today. Uh, thank you for letting us come together. Thank you for allowing us to worship. Uh, thank you for the freedom that we have in this country to do that. Uh, Lord, thank you for these people that come to worship together. Uh, Lord, I ask you to uh, take this time that we have. Allow us to glorify you and lift you up without distraction. Uh, thank you for letting us know you. Thank you for uh, letting us understand you better through the word. Uh, God, thank you for loving us. Jesus, and I pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Hey, I'm glad you're here. I mean, I'm glad you're here. There is nothing else really better you can be doing. Um, no sleep. The weather's so bad outside, there's nothing you can do outside that'd be more fun. <laughs> so this is really, this is our only safe haven. I'm sorry, family. You've got to stay here until everything clears up and, and we can do something outside. But I apologize. That's the way it is. Hey, if, if you're watching online, uh, we're glad you clicked on with us. Uh, sometime during the service, will you fill out your connection card? Especially if you're watching online, it lets us know you're watching with us, lets us know you're with us. Um, but otherwise, we, we came here to worship, so let's just take a, a quick break, just a three-minute break. Let's go out and say some hellos and let people know why you're glad they're here.
we go one slide forward? Let's see if I got my thing. There we are. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. I'm always afraid I messed up my slides. I'm going to goof it up and someone's going to tease me after church. Okay, so week seven. Week seven in, in Core 52, and, and I'm going to ask just a, a question in your, you can answer in your head, don't answer out loud because I can't hear you. So far, what are your feelings about Core 52? An, answer in your head. Do you like it? Do you, you dislike it? Is it okay? Is it awful? Is it great? Just answer in your head what you, you think of Core 52. And this week, Jeff came in my office and we were, we were talking about it. He said, hey, what do you, what do you think so far? And, and I said, and I'll admit it to you too, I, I said, I have noticed that the weeks that I like that week's lesson the best are the weeks that I have spent the most time in the material. And the weeks that I have found I just didn't really care for are the weeks I invested the littlest amount of time. And maybe, maybe there's a correlation between core 52 and how much time we put into it. Maybe not. But I know certainly for me that the more I am into it during the week is the more I, I feel like I, I get something out of it. Just, just throwing that out there. No, no guilt for if, if you're not doing your homework. No guilt. No pressure. Maybe just a little bit. Hey, so this week we're in, we're in week number seven, and we're going to be in 1 Samuel 16, 7. That's, that's our verse that we're going to do our memory work from, but we're going to turn a little bit. So if, if you're not a page turner in your Bible, I'm sorry, but you're stuck. So 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. Let's, let's read that together. I'll give you just a few seconds to get there. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. And we're going to be in 1 Samuel the entire day, so we're just going to just turn a little bit, nothing, nothing major. 16, 7. All right, you're out of time. Here it is. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him, for the Lord sees not, a man, sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Now, this is a statement, if you have uh, been in Scripture for any time, you know that this is the passage of Scripture that's just before um, David is anointed king over Israel. And to properly think about why David was being anointed as king over Israel, the only way to do that, and you know what I tell everyone, it's always context. Context, context, context. So in order to understand why, why this is written, that is essentially in a summary saying, God looks at the inside, man looks at the outside. Man looks at the outward appearance of how strong he is. God looks on the inside appearance of, of man to decide how, how strong he is. So in order to do that properly, we have to look just a little bit farther back. And instead, we're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8. And these, these words crack me up. So if I giggle a little bit, I apologize. This is where Israel is demanding a king. And it says, verse 4 says, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel and Ramah and said to him, I love these words, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. I love that passage. I, I don't know what it is. It amuses me so much that the leaders of the nation came to the prophet and said, You're old. I, I don't know why it amuses me, but it makes me laugh. So what we have here is, is we have the beginning and what led up to chapter 16, verse 7. And what we have is, is very simply, the nation decided they wanted a king, 
the nation decided they wanted a king just like all the other nations. And what we see here is very clearly someone or some people wanting something for themselves so bad they can't see anything else. That's, that's our very first point is, is simply when we look at 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, if you have to ask me what it teaches us, it teaches us we need to get past ourselves. That's when I look at that. I, I don't think of anything else besides the fact that when I look at that passage, these people, all they wanted was a king. They wanted a king to go out before them to war because their, their neighbors had one. And we look at that without proper context. We go, so what? What, is that? what does that matter? They, they want a king. That's not a big deal. It is a big deal because what it means for their king. What they were telling their king is, God, you are not good enough for us. They're looking at their leader, their king, their man, the person that got them out of Egypt, and they said, God, you are not enough for us. And if you, if you skip down in 1 Samuel chapter 8, I'm going to paraphrase just a little bit for you. After Samuel heard what they said about wanting a king, Samuel warned him. He said, if you have a king, he's going to take your sons and go to war. He said, if you have a king, he's going to take your daughters and they're going to serve in his household. He said, if you have a king, you, the, the crops you raise, the animals you raise, he's going to take them, he's going to tax them, because that is what a king does. He is going to, he's going to insert his kingly rights over you. And it, and it says in verse 20, it says, but the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with the king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it to the Lord, and the Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. I look at this, I look at this passage, and it is, it is so clear. This isn't about simply wanting to be like their neighbors. What they were doing was rejecting God. You know, now, luckily, in, in this church, I know this is completely a... a an invalid point because no one here has ever wanted something for themselves so bad that they do not care who they hurt to get it now luckily i know none of us have ever done that we are borderline saints Whew. it's good to serve with you family thank you honorable all these people wanted and, and it's really funny to me when they said we want a king that will go out before us and fight our battles which really cracks me up because I don't know if, if any of you are aware of how a king fights in a battle. The king does not typically go out in front of you and fight your battles. The king hides behind rows and rows of men that will die before they ever get touched. So their whole idea of having a king go before us is nothing more than wanting protection. Some of you will know this and some of you won't. Probably most of you will. There was an, an old movie and there was a, a song in it, and the song is, is just so perfect. I'm going to read a few, a few words because I think of this often. And if you know the words, you can, you can go ahead and sing with me. I'm just going to read them because I don't, I don't want to sing. Gooses, geeses, I want my geese to lay golden eggs for Easter, at least a hundred a day. And by the way, I want a feast. I want a bean feast cream buns and donuts and fruitcakes with no nuts so good you go nuts now now and if i don't get the things that i'm after i'm going to scream that is veruca salt in charlie and the chocolate factory 
when she's in the chocolate factory and she sees these geese laying golden eggs and the gooses, geeses, I'm going to be honest, if you're ever around me and you ever hear me say gooses, geeses, it's because I am thinking someone around me is being a spoiled brat. And oftentimes, we'll be planning a wedding and someone in the wedding party, it's usually two people, and I won't mention who they are in the weddings, but one of them starts to yell, and if you ever look at me, I'm going to start singing gooses, geeses. I want to go. That's what I start thinking. And I, I, I always had this impression of this spoiled little princess saying, I want, I want, I want. And so if you're ever in a church setting and someone's angry about wanting something and you look at me and I'm, I'm mouthing these words, you know where it's from now. I'm thinking of that spoiled person. And it happens at church. It happens at churches. That someone wants something that they want so bad they, they can't see anything else. And, and when I look at this passage, all, all I see is these, these leaders of Israel speaking for their people. And they're simply saying, I want a king and I don't care how much it hurts God. Because let's, let's be clear, family. If you can't see this, you're missing out. This would have hurt God. The people are clearly saying, God, you're not enough for us. I know what you've done. I know where you've taken us. I know the blessings you've given us. I know that we're your chosen nation. I know we're favored. I know we're protected, but it's simply not enough. And so when I look at, when I look at 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, when, when Samuel is talking about what God sees, all I see is what led up to this moment. And what I see is, is borderline narcissistic people who think so highly of themselves, they cannot see anyone else. They cannot see what else they've done. All right, we're going we're to keep moving on. This is going to be an interesting passage. Now turn to 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. I want to clear up some misconceptions here. 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. Now, before we read this passage, don't, don't skip on me here. When we look at this, this piece, oftentimes some people will get confused. They'll say Saul was anointed king of Israel, right? And that's true. And so they look at that and they'll say, well, that was the king that God chose because God chose Samuel to go anoint Saul to be king. But the problem is, it's 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. Let's read that together. Look at these words, and you've got to read them real slow so you don't miss them. And now behold the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked. See, God had Saul anointed. That doesn't mean that was the king that God chose. 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13 is very clear. He's talking to the leaders of Israel, and he said, Behold, Saul is the king that you chose. That leads us to our second point. Be careful what you ask for. Be careful what you ask for. I'm going to address something here, and I know it's, it's been on everyone's mind, and we're going to talk about this just this briefly, because I, I know everyone here is really concerned, but when we start diving into this passage, these people chose Saul to be their king. This is who they wanted, and it starts giving a description of, of Saul, and let's look in 1 Samuel chapter 9. Let's look at this. This is a description of Saul. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, son of Zizar, son of Barath, son of Athath, 
a Benjaminite, a man of wealth, and he had a son whose name was Saul. These are the words I, I know that's been tearing at you guys' hearts. He was a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. I know this has been tearing at you. Who made that decision that Saul was the most handsome man in Israel? Who voted? I've been thinking about this all week. Did, did God decide that, that Saul was the most handsome man? Was, was there a beauty pageant? I'm, I'm really torn here wanting to know who made this description that Saul was the most handsome man in Israel. Doesn't this ever keep you up at night? Aren't you worried? Did, did Samuel make this dis distinction? Did the people say, Saul, you're the most handsome man? And you know, the, the next question comes to be, I gotta see this guy. I gotta weigh in on this. Is he really the most handsome man? I think they need Jerry's opinion on this situation. I believe I should have a vote on this situation. Is he really the most handsome man? But that's besides the point. So here we had this passage. Be careful what you ask for. There was a man of wealth who had a son named Saul. He was the most handsome man of Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else. So he's a tall and handsome man. Be careful what you ask for. You know, there's, there's not a lot of, of scripture of, about Saul until after Saul was anointed king. If, if you know your history, what we know most about Saul was what happened after he became king. And we, we know that quite well. We know the downfalls. The, the problem is, is we know from 1 Samuel chapter 12, Samuel said, this is the, the man you chose for king. And we know from 1 Samuel chapter 9 what he looks like. The following parts are not biblical. You cannot, you cannot email me later this week and say that's not in Scripture because you are correct. It's not in Scripture. But according to some, some Jewish historians, they were called a sage, they would, they would write history down. According to Jewish historians, when you dive into Saul, it opens up this different perspective. And I'm, I'm going to read this, so, so bear along with me. It said, Paul had, uh, Saul had another side, the side that only comes from true focus written by these sages who preserved the oral traditions. It said Saul was a great person, and many historians actually believe that Saul, before his downfall, was even greater than David. Before Saul came king, Saul was a national hero. He led the daring raid to rescue the tablets of the Ten Commandments from the Philistines who had captured them along with the ark. After he had become king, in his two short, two and a half year reign, he freed the Jewish people of all of their enemies except for the Philistines. It remained for David. So ultimately, David triumphed over the Philistines and destroyed them. But the army that Saul built laid the foundation for that military victory. It was Saul who did that. Saul was charismatic and physically gifted, as well, of course, extremely tall and handsome. It said he was charitable and selfless. Tradition records that he gave his fortune away to poor people. He specialized in helping pay for the needs of poor brides-to-be. When he went to war, he paid the soldiers out of his own personal treasury, not uh, public funds. Saul was also the picture-perfect definition of self-sacrifice. He went to war with the Philistines after he had heard the prophecy that he and his sons would be killed. So knowing he was going to die, he still went to war. 
His loyalty and self-sacrifice for the Jewish people knew no bounds. Saul supported and enhanced the school system that Samuel established. During his time, the level of education among the children reached a high point. And see, all these gifts he had made what happened to Saul even more tragic. See, he had all the qualifications to be a great leader. He had it all. He had the support, he had the looks, he had the height, he had the self-sacrifice, and he had all these good things. And all these people, they saw that in this man, and they, they wanted him for their king. Careful what you ask for. They, they wanted this, this strong, powerful man to lead them into war, and he failed. Saul failed to completely destroy all the Amalekites like he was commanded to do. Instead of pursuing what was best for the nation, he became jealous of a young man in his group and started hunting him through the, will, the hills in the wilderness because he was obsessed with trying to kill this young man. During a huge battle with the Philistines, Saul gets scared, he panics, he gets desperate, and he goes and finds a witch and asks them to um, reach out and talk to the, the spirit of Samuel and ask for advice. See, oftentimes, people, we want something so badly that it doesn't matter who we hurt to get it. And sometimes what's even worse is we want something so badly and we get it. I'm, I'm enamored by, by these stories of, of people who have won the lottery. And they wanted that lottery so bad, and they wanted it so bad, and they got it. And, and as soon as they got it, all that money, it, it literally destroyed their life. We can sit up here and I can talk for days just on all the, all the history about people who came, with, came into great wealth and, and they couldn't handle it and it destroyed them, it destroyed the relationship, it destroyed marriages, it destroyed families, it destroyed everything. We have to be careful what we ask for. We're really good at that, family. We're really good at, at thinking what we need is what we need and then when we, we do get it or when we attain it and we push so hard to get it, when we get it, it it's, not, it's not good for us. See, what, this, what happened here is, and sometimes, sometimes my heart goes out to Saul, because in, in, all, in all retrospect, according to the Jewish historian, Saul was a, a really nice man. And that power that he had, as soon as he was anointed king of Israel, it just, I don't know if it brought the worst out of him, I, I don't know if it highlighted some of his shortcomings, but what it did is it seemed to take a, a good man and utterly destroy him. It took a nation that was, that was being led by God and took them down a whole separate path. Be careful what you ask for. I had a, a friend that used to work in a casino, and he used to always tell me the stories about people. And I think he was only doing that is, is to vent, and he said there was a guy there that was part of the, the Diamond Club, and apparently if you gamble a whole bunch, you get certain ones. And in that casino, the Diamond Club was the highest. And he loved his, he loved his slot machines. And he, he said one time this, this man won the biggest slot machine payout that my friend had ever seen. He said, I've never, I've never done a payout like that. He said, it was me, and I had to, I had to get uh, the manager above me to come out and authorize the payment. And here's this life-changing amount of money, and he said the guy wanted it back in credits. And he said he watched that man sit there for the next so many hours upon hours, and he said he put every single dime back in that machine. Every single thing that he won out of that machine that he thought was going to change his life went right back into the machine. And he said, he said, I've never seen someone look so sad walking out of a casino 
And it, it's family, we do the same thing. We, we think that we, we need this stuff, that we want this stuff, and so we go to these, these incredible, incredible expenses to get what we think we need, and when we get it, we go, well, that wasn't very good. We need to be very, very careful of, of what we ask for and what we get. Now, this time, let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 16. Now, let's read our passage one more time. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees a man not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. We're going to stop there, and that, that's our very, our very last point. And I had a hard time coming up how I wanted to, I wanted to summarize this, but it's, it's all about looking for potential. And it's not about looking for potential, who is, who is great, who is perfect, but it's, it's looking for godly potential. So there's, there's a big difference in, in potential and, and godly potential because not everyone has the same potentials and the same things. But all of us have godly potential. And sometimes when we, we, think, that we're, when we think that we're looking for what we want, we can overlook what's good for us. And when we overlook what's good for us, oftentimes we overlook godly potential in people around us because simply it's, it's not what we're looking for. Let me, let me ask an easy question here and you answer inside your head. Why are you here today? Why are you sitting in this church? Hey, if you're watching online, why did you click on? Why are you listening to this passage of Scripture? You have to ask yourself that easy question. Most people fall into a couple categories. They do it because of habit. They do it because someone else is there. Or the third one, you're, you're doing it because what you're, what you're here for is following Scripture. You listen to Scripture because you want to be more like God. And if that's you, if, if you legitimately say, I am here listening to Scripture because I want to be more Christ-like, that's, I'm hoping that's what everyone's here for. If that's you, this passage is, is written to you. Because if you believe that you are looking to be more, more Christ-like, Christ-likes means not looking at people and seeing what the world sees, but you look at people and you start to work on seeing what God sees. And what that means is you don't look at, at they looked at Saul for what Saul would do. They thought Saul would take care of their problems. That's what they thought. They thought he was powerful, he was a nice man, he was a strong man, he was a smart man, he was a generous man. He has all these qualities according to Jewish historians. They looked at that and saw that, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they were looking at godly potential. And that is a real struggle. How do you see godly potential? It's difficult, isn't it? And that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean, and I have a hard time phrasing this properly, so I'm just going to blurt it out. It doesn't mean that when you look at godly potential, you look at everyone with complete rose-colored lenses on, and you see no flaws in anybody. That doesn't mean that. Uh, you, you've got to be, you've got to be, still be honest when you're looking at people. For instance, if, if we had someone in our congregation that, let's say, went to jail for 10 years for embezzling funds out of a corporation, I would not vote for them to be our treasurer. It doesn't mean they don't have potential. It just means, hey, we, we've got to be honest with some, with some situations. 
we're not going to have you in that, that role. It's, it doesn't mean you don't have potential in the kingdom. It simply means it's not there. And, and other things, it doesn't mean you look at everyone and just completely forgot. For instance, several of you were here. Do you remember a, a couple of years ago, there was a man out in the parking lot, and he, and he was asking for, for handouts, and he was cornering everyone by their cars. And I said, hey, brother, you, this is private property. You, you can't beg for people. And he threatened me with physical violence. And I said, I'm done. I'm, I'm done. I'm walking away. It would be very hard if, if he came into worship here right now, I, would, I wouldn't say, you can't be here, but I'm not turning my back on that fella. It's not because I, I would say, hey, you have no potential. I would just simply say, hey, we've got to be honest when we look at each other, but we've got to be honest when we look at each other, and we've got to look at each other with, with godly potential. What kind of godly potential do they have? And the only way we do that is by spending time in Scripture, allowing Christ's words and his actions and his, his heart to affect ours so that we look at people we see not only the outward part, but we also start to have a, a vision of what's on the inside. What could they do? I'm going to leave a, a short story here, and I won't say names, but I wish I could rephrase this because it makes me feel super old and really self-conscious, but I have been working with kids now for so long, and I wish I could say this differently. Some of the kids that I began, to, began in, in full-time ministry with are now adults with families of their own, and that that makes me feel really old. So if there's any way I could rephrase that so I don't feel so old, but I can't. And there were some kids, and I had some kids that were really bad. Like really, 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 really bad. They were, they were some of the most obnoxious kids I'd ever seen in my entire life. For instance, we would have elders meetings during youth group hour. And so I would go in and I would summarize with the elders what was going on. And the kids were actually above the, the church in the story above and they had to wait for me. And oftentimes, they decided they didn't want to wait anymore because they thought the elders were stealing their, their fun time. And so they would get on the back of the couch, they would stand up on it and jump off the couch, all six of them together, or seven or eight or 10, and land on the ground all at once because they were afraid the elders forgot that they were up there. And so we'd be sitting in this elders meeting and all of a sudden the whole rafters would start shaking and things were falling on our papers. And I had some really, they were just, man, they were really, really bad kids. And I would receive phone calls sometimes from people or elders, and they would simply say, hey, these, these kids, man, they, they've got to go. You've gotta, they've got to do something, or they, they, they're going to tear the church apart. That was, that, was, that was legitimate stress, I understand. And I, I kind of I smiled because I was, I was young, and let me use the word dumber then than I am now, because I, I believed that somehow, through my skill, I could make everybody happy. I was, I was definitely, I was blind. You can't make everyone happy. It doesn't work. And so I tried really hard to appease every single person. I was always trying to balance this game of, of how to make that person happy, making this person happy, making this person happy. And so oftentimes when someone would complain about some of these kids in the group, I would giggle and I would change the subject. That's, that's my go-to. I would say, hey, you see that, that basketball game? Talk about the Illini game. And that always, that always got someone's focus off. And so we changed the subject, but I, I always struggled because people kept saying, these kids, they, they either got to simmer down or they got to go. They got to simmer down or they got to go. And it's not that I was a saint. I wasn't a saint by any means. I just, I liked these kids. They were, they were fun kids. And ironically, ironically, some of the worst kids that were in that group now are leaders in the church. Some of them, and, and I, I can't mention names because I know a couple of them watch off and on, one of them was almost, almost begged by their current church to be part of their finance team to help generate ideas and revenue for a new building project. 
it was, it was one of the young men that was so obnoxious. It was, it was him who was doing, making really gross water balloons with really inappropriate things and throwing them at the little kids. It was him. One of them, one of them is a, a, a deacon in the church now, and he's probably one of the greatest servants ever. Whatever the church needs, he's there, he'll do it. It was, it was that kid that other parents were saying, this kid's driving my kids nuts. And I, coincidentally, when Aaron posted the picture of my, my beat-up head, it was, it was them who called. Said, hey, what can we do? You know, do you need help? We can fly out there. Do you want us to take care of stuff? Especially, they heard the word tractor. That's all, that, that's all they needed to hear was tractor. They said, do you, were you, are you injured? You can't finish your task? We'll come do it for you. And so it's, it's not saying everyone has this, this incredible potential to, to grow up and, and lead the church. It's not saying that. But it is saying we can't give up on people. And what that is saying to anyone here, if you're watching online, if, if you don't think you're there yet right now, I believe that Jesus still sees potential in you. I believe that Jesus still looks at the inside and says, there's, there's potential. They can, they can do some really great things. They can still grow and move. Man. It's good to know that we have a, a creator that does not dismiss us for our, our first mess up, isn't it? And as our, our praise team comes and leads us in a song of decision, if you have not made a choice to follow Jesus Christ, you can know right now that I believe God still sees potential in you, so much so that he allowed Jesus to die for you. Hey, and if you're watching online and, and you want to make a decision for, for Jesus, uh, get a hold of us in the office. Uh, we'll, we'll make something work for you. If you're here and you want to make a, a decision, come on down. Um, if you're having a rough week, you, you feel kind of like, like Saul, that you had some potential, but you, you kind of go down the, the wrong route, you messed up, you allowed things to kind of get your focus off. Hey, come on down. We'll pray with you. I'll be up here. Uh, one of our elders will be. And the same thing goes for our congregation. If, if there is a prayer request you want, put that on your connection card. If it's confidential, please mark it. We look at them. We read them. Uh, if you're a baptized believer, you like this church, you may be part of our family. Hey, come on down. We'll welcome you with open arms. Let's stand as we get ready to sing.
Please be seated. Morning, brothers and sisters. 
When you look outside today, you know why you live here. At times, I look at the mountains during, quote, our winter, and I see, God, you've blessed us to remind us of your wondrous way of giving us back the water that we so desperately need. Brother Jerry, that's what I needed this morning. And I hope many others drank from the same well that I did. During a recent group that I happened to be invited to lead, I was really refreshed. I discussed with others and looked at the different points of view of the original functional relationship when the two people he had created lived with him. Trust. They were bound together. What a magnificent feeling they must have had each night when they laid the their heads to rest. If you ever feel that feeling that I know they felt, it's refreshing. It's like I used to run a lot. And when you finished, if somebody refreshed you with a cold, fresh drink, you rejoiced. Well, the biggest thing that happened during that period of time was all they had to do and they did do at that time was say, God, help me. And then they expressed what they needed. We have been saved by Christ Jesus he says the same thing to each and every one of you. I just ask for help. And then he goes further, and, he's, and it's known by all of God's children today that they are welcome back and the keys to heaven have been given them through a sacrifice of a man, God, that had never sinned. What a blood sacrifice. This brings to mind a scripture. It's from Hebrews 4.16. I shall read from the King James Version. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. 
please trust God and reach out anytime you have these needs. God is not flawed in any way. We are. And I can, unfortunately, identify with that period of time when I make those rash, I know how to take care of it, decisions. When you need, ask, and you will receive. Now, let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, we reach out to you as stated in Hebrews 4.16 with confidence and boldness. We need, as your children here, in the first Christian church to be blessed for we all have needs. You know the one for each and every one of your children sent here. We repent from our hearts with a heavy bearing and ask for you to take that Load away from us, dear Jesus. Please forgive us for walking in sin rather than the way that you and the Holy Spirit are ready to guide and direct us. We fear truly of going into the fires of hell. We unjustly turn away from all that God has given us to return to him. Thank you, Jesus. And we ask that the Father be blessed for sending his only begotten Son to those fires to prevent them from being our destination. We pray this prayer in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen.
This week's our final week of our faith promise, and this week we're putting our focus on TCM, and I want to show a video from them, and then we'll have our announcements and our memory verse this morning. When I was a little boy, uh, every summer my dad would leave our home in Missouri and spend three weeks sneaking into and out of the communist countries of Eastern Europe. They brought all of TCM, all of us, into their networks in order to do something new. Because of the Marxist ideologies that govern those countries, it was illegal to be a Christian, it was illegal to start a church. So my dad spent part of his summer training and encouraging the pastors who led those underground movements. And that something new was together to figure out how do you develop disciple makers with graduate education attached to it that can be accredited. This is a pretty tall order. When I was a freshman in high school, I had the privilege of traveling to Vienna to see the work of TCM firsthand. And I was absolutely blown away by the faith of those church leaders and the vision and passion of the staff at TCM to educate and equip them. But because this was their mission, it became our mission as well. And so God opened just amazing doors over, over these last couple of decades taking us places we never thought we would be going. And having seen a lot of different ministries around the world, I can't think of any that have been as effective for as long as TCM has. It's the Great Commission, but really built on the foundation of the Great Commandment. And that's powerful. And I hope it's still around for my kids to be a part of, because I know there will be thousands of people in heaven multiple generations that will be able to trace their faith heritage back to the dynamic ministry of TCM. TCM is one of the missions that we support through our faith promise and um, so far, um, after our third week, we've had 28 pledges for a total of almost $24,000. So uh, people have been very generous, and uh, all everything that comes into that goes to those missions, and we're thankful that we're going to be a part of that. Um, there's uh, This week, Jerry, or excuse me, today, Jerry has all of his groups and Roger's meeting. We have the Stitches of Love on Monday. We have LOL on, on Tuesday for the young ladies. All of our Wednesday studies in our Thursday groups, and we have praise team practices. The medical team is meeting Saturday. Also, Narrow Path, there's a note about that. We're meeting on March 9th. If you'd like to go on this one, it's a very easy trip, but we're going to go to Velvet Elvis. At least that's the plan. So get signed up so that we can make sure that we get you on the, on the list and because we have to make reservations. Operation Christmas Child is looking for items. You can see that in our bulletin, and so is Peach's Pantry. If you're interested in being part of a Core 52 Life Group, please get a hold of Dale because he would like to get one going, and we can hope we can do that. Now, at this point, I want to show you our memory verse for this week. So hopefully by the time you leave here, you'll have it memorized. Core verse number seven, 1 Samuel 16, 7. And this is a, a, a conversation or a command that the Lord gives to Samuel as he's anointing David. He says, do not look on his appearance, 
repeat that again. Do not look on his appearance. 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 Or the height of his stature. So this, 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 this. Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature. Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature. Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature. Say it without saying it. Got it? Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature. Why? Why? Because I have rejected him. Because I have rejected him. I have rejected him. I have rejected him. I have rejected him. Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature because I have rejected him. 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 For the Lord sees, not as man sees, and I'm going to use both hands. The Lord sees, this is the right hand for the Lord, left hand for man. For the Lord sees, not as man sees. For the Lord sees, not as man sees. And when I quote it, Publicly, I wouldn't, you know, do all this. I would probably just do something like this. For the Lord sees, not as man sees. For the Lord sees, not as man sees. For the Lord sees, not as man sees. Do you remember the first line? Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. Because I have rejected him. Because I have rejected him. Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees, not as man sees. How does man see? Man looks, again, left hand, man looks on the, on the outward appearance. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Let's put it all together. Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees, not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Try it one more time. Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees, not as man sees. A man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. First Samuel 16.7. You know, I have to say, this is probably one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Being a person without a lot of height and not a lot of appearance. It just does my heart good to know that, you know, because you're tall and good looking, this passage says God rejected you. I don't know. That's probably proof texting. But anyway, um, make sure you learn that this week. It's a real blessing. Um, on our prayers, we have them in the back of the bulletin. We have a praise, of course, with our faith promise. Add to your prayer list, Lori Jacobs. Lori comes to our second service. Her son, who's 40 years old, died just yesterday. And he left, a, a, I think, a one-year-old and, and some, a little bit older children and a wife. So please keep him in your prayers. It's a very tough time for her and her family. He's back in Missouri. Um, we have a lot of people we've been praying for for health. We ask that you keep them in your prayers. Um, we also have special concerns in our bulletin for things that are going on. As you know, we're going to be coming up to an election. Didn't know if you knew that or not. But uh, make sure that you, um, you vote. Whoever you vote for, make sure you vote. And whoever you vote for, make sure they line up with Scripture as best as possible. Sometimes it's the lesser of two evils. Um, make sure, uh, be in prayer for our troops, for our shut-ins. Uh, this week, 
uh, this month we've been focusing on Peach's Pantry, and this week we're focusing on TCM as the mission that we're, we're concentrating on. So at this time, let's stand together. We'll go to the Lord in prayer in silence, and then I'll lead us in prayer, and our praise team will lead us out with the song this morning. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the blessings we have, and Lord, we're just blessed by your word, and we thank you for the message that was given to us today. I pray that we take it to heart. Lord, as we live our lives this week, I hope that we live them with joy and with passion and with a desire to show people Jesus and tell them about him. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for church this morning. Have a wonderful week in the Lord, everybody. Enjoy this wonderful weather.